Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. We are in a series called Whole Soul, as uh, Brother Nick talked uh, and mentioned. And in this series, we've been talking about a lot of different things And uh, basically what we've been gathering around is answering the question, what does the human soul need to be most healthy and most whole? Every one of us has a soul. And so we talked about the soul. We define the soul. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That is kind of the contemporary understanding of what the soul is, your mind, your will, and your emotions. But one of the things that's probably the most important understanding about the soul is that your soul is actually eternal in design. It's eternal in nature. Which that, what that means is that God placed something eternal inside of you that will not be satisfied by natural things. It will only be satisfied by its eternal things. It longs for the eternal. Uh, the fact that we all have a mind, a will, and emotions is evidence that God is real. The fact that nothing in this world satisfies eternally means that God is real. He put this longing in you that would be unsatisfied here so that ultimately at some point it would be redirected back to him. And so we talked about the fact that the soul is eternal in nature. The ancient Greeks actually, even though they did not believe in the God of the Bible, they agreed and acknowledged that the soul is eternal. They said this about the soul. It's the essence inside of us, which differs from the body in that it is not dissolved by death. So they knew something's on the inside of me that will not expire when my physical body comes to rest. It's the eternal thing. So in order for your soul to be most healthy and most whole, first and foremost, it needs to be consistently, continuously reconnecting to its source. God is the source of your soul. We see this verified in Genesis. Genesis Genesis chapter 2. He's the source. He created it. He's eternal. He puts something eternal inside of you, and your soul will not be healthy and whole if it's not constantly going back to its origin, its eternal source. But that's not the only thing, because last week one of the things we talked about was the original environment in which God created humanity to be in. That original environment is Genesis chapter 2, Eden, paradise. What made Eden paradise was not the trees, it was the presence of God. The presence of God has to be central to your life. You can create paradise. The American dream is a microcosm of trying to create paradise, but if God is not the center, you won't be satisfied. You can have all of the stuff, but if God's not in the middle of it, you won't be satisfied. All of the attributes that made Eden Eden flow from God being at the center. And so one of those attributes that we talked about last week was we talked about the fact that your soul needs rest. Your soul needs rest. God created an environment called Eden where he wanted your soul to take in rest, relaxation, peace, and enjoyment. He created you for that. Your soul needs moments and margin where you stop And you just be still, so not only that you could know God, but so that your soul could get refreshed in stillness. So this week, and for the rest of the month of February, we are going to take a facet from the Garden of Eden, an attribute from the Garden of Eden, and we're going to talk about it for the next two weeks, and then we'll culminate uh, Soul Sunday or Invite Sunday by this reality. Your soul needs to be redeemed. For your soul to be most healthy and whole, it needs redemption. That is the message in the gospel presentation of Jesus, what Jesus came to do. And so listen, this is the whole point. Outside of your relationship with God, the purpose for going back and looking at Eden is this, that the more our lives in a practical sense mirror Eden and the things that are there, the more healthy and whole our souls will be. So that's why we're going back to the story. So to do that, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and let's pray. 
God, my soul was singing. Thank you that your presence was so tangible. Your presence was so freely available. God, I ask today that you would anoint the word. God, I pray that you would open the heart. I pray that the ears would be open so that your word could enter into not just our physical body, but enter into our soul, and that your truth would bring freedom, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 is where we're going to land today. But in Genesis chapters 2, verses 7 through 8, just contextually to simplify, God creates mankind, and then he puts them in Eden. He could have put them anywhere, but he actually strategically puts the only beings that were made in his image and his likeness in Eden. That shows us that Eden was the original environment for the soul. The second thing that we see in verse 9, we see the original environment for the soul was a place of rest. He creates an environment that is uh, relaxing, enjoyable, peaceful. Okay, He said that the food was good to eat and the trees were flourishing. They were beautiful. It was an environment of relaxation and rest. Last week I talked about putting your soul needs to be put in some sweatpants. Ian came over yesterday and uh, late yesterday or afternoon yesterday and I said, hey, before you come over, I just want to let you know my soul's in sweatpants. Okay, I'm not trying to be a pastor today. Matter of fact, my soul's in pajamas. And it was like 4.30. I don't care. We need rest, right? So the third thing that our soul needs, we're going to find in verses 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. That's actually the third thing, but I switched them this week because I just felt led by God to talk about this next thing. But we're going to talk about that next week. Your soul needs responsibility. That's verse 15. Isn't it interesting that God did not create humanity and then put him in an environment where no work was needed? Your soul needs work. Your soul needs purpose. Your soul needs responsibility to be healthy and whole. And I think what's crazy about retirement is that a lot of people dream for the day where there is no work, and then there's a void in it, and they end up going back to work. Because we were designed to make contribution. We were designed to have purpose. We were designed to have responsibility. Do you know that every facet we see in Eden is going to be present in eternity? Do you know that you will actually judge nations? Revelations talks about the disciples judging nations. There are responsibilities even in heaven. Okay? And so that's something we're going to talk about next week. But this week, we're going to get to verse 16 and 17. Then the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But listen to this next part. Say, but. but. That's a big but right there. <laughs> but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Die. The third thing that our souls need to be most healthy and whole is the practice of restraint. The practice of restraint. Let me explain. Our souls need to be told a necessary no from time to time to be healthy and whole. Our souls need the exercise of restraint for their own health. Even if your soul doesn't understand why behind the no. Let me give you an example. My son is perfectly illustrating this. Ten-year-old Gideon, he has a whole bunch of stuff and whole, whole, a whole lot of things. And his, his next thing that he needs, because we've been working on the meaning of words lately. Need doesn't mean want, or, or need doesn't need, mean you need it. It actually, in his Vocabulary means that he just wants it. Gideon needs a go-kart. <laughs> if you come to my son and you affirm that, 
We don't have to talk. He needs a go-kart. What he doesn't need is a go-kart. What he needs is gratitude. Because we've been through this sick cycle for the last four years about what he needs. And then guess what happens? You get what you need, and then you have another need. You don't need a go-kart. I told him, I said, hey, you can pray about it. You can sow a seed for it. You can fast. You ain't getting a go-kart. Unless you get your own go-kart. But I'm not giving you a go-kart. Why? Because your soul doesn't need a go-kart. What your soul needs is to practice gratitude. Because you just don't need another thing. Sometimes, no, is just because God knows that your soul needs no. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to get it. Sometimes God can say, nope. Why? Nope. God, I need more understanding. Nope. (laughs) Because our souls need restraint. See, don't eat from that tree was God's no or restraint for the first human soul. God said you can eat from any tree in Eden but one. He did not just create human beings to experience limitless freedom. He created them to experience freedom within limitation. So I want you to, talk, I want you to see the order here. God is not a cosmic killjoy for the person that doesn't know who God is. God did not list a whole bunch of no's in one yes. He listed a whole bunch of yeses in one no. But something tells us here that no is needed for the health of the soul. What this shows us is that boundaries and limitations are necessary for the health of our soul. Listen to this. This is crazy. What was Eden? Eden was paradise. Eden was uncontaminated by sin. But God still deemed it necessary for the health of the human soul that the soul be subjected to the practice of restraint. Do you know that in this eternal environment, that tree was not going to wither and die? So Adam and Eve were going to have to walk by this tree and practice restraint for the health of their soul forever. Isn't that crazy? And yet in God's omniscience, he believes, he knows that a no is good for your soul. And he creates an environment where we have to practice restraint. See, what this speaks of is the original understanding of what freedom is supposed to be. And I can't wait to talk about this because our culture doesn't really understand what freedom is supposed to be. Listen to this. True freedom is not the absence of limitations restrictions, restraints, and boundaries. It's not the absence. True freedom is the environment that exists within limitations and boundaries. That maintains and sustains a healthy, free, and whole soul. Boundaries and limitations actually are supposed to sustain and maintain a healthy, free, and whole soul. What does this mean? This means, and this is what I want you to get, this means that freedom is not freedom if it doesn't keep you free or produce freedom. Freedom is not freedom if the fruit of it is bondage. And that's our cultural problem. I read an article, and I haven't fact-checked it, so fact-check this. But is our government giving out crack pipes? They're talking about them. Huh? That's crazy to me. Freely. Now let me, but freedom is not freedom if the fruit of it is bondage. I, I'm, I'm, Listen. I haven't read all the articles and done the research. That's why I said, please fact check it. By the way, you should probably fact check every message you hear. 
study to show yourself approved. Okay, just because it comes from someone's mouth doesn't mean it's true. So if I'm wrong, I will next week show up and say, fact checked, that wasn't right. But that very thought was crazy to me because freedom is only supposed to maintain and sustain freedom, not produce bondage. It has to keep you free or produce freedom. See, you have to get this because the enemy caused Adam and Eve to believe that the practice of restraint, no to the tree, was an infringement on their freedom. And as a result, they ate. But what was the fruit of that? The fruit of that was bondage and enslavement to sin. So the fruit of that perceived freedom was bondage. That's not freedom if the result of it is that you serve the lusts of your own soul. See, this truth defies our cultural understanding because our culture wants uninhibited freedom. We don't want any restraint. We want to do whatever we want to do. That's the spirit of the age. You know, what's crazy is the idea, I, I, I want to be, live in an environment where I can do whatever I want to do. You know what's crazy about that? Is there's actually one of the most popular verses in the Satanic Bible is do what thou wilt. Do whatever you want. Do you see any consistency there? That's not freedom. That is deception to get you in bondage. See, that's not freedom. There are supposed to be boundaries and limitations. The original environment of Eden that God created was the antithesis of that ideal. God's original environment for the soul had a lot of freedom, but also had limitations. See, freedom is something we have to understand because we have to know what it was supposed to be. Freedom has to exist within limitations. Let me tell you, let me tell you how I know that freedom has to exist within, in, within limitations because one of the most terrifying things personally is outer space. No control, but freedom exists. If you are floating perpetually without any control in that environment, you would wish you had the law of gravity. It is terrifying because in this free environment, there is no space. There's no control. There's no limit. It is a limitless atmosphere. That's not freedom. Freedom has to have boundaries. Listen to the wisdom of John in 1 John 2.16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father. You don't get to do whatever you want but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Freedom is not supposed to be an environment where we get to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, with whoever we want. We can't just cater to every desire of the soul because here's the truth about the soul. We all have to agree on this. You and I cannot trust our own souls. Have you ever had your desires betray you? then you know that you can't trust your own soul. To Jeremiah, the prophet, talks about this in 17, verses 17 and 9. He says, chapter 17, verse 9, he says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? We can't trust our own souls. We have mantras in our culture. Listen to your heart. Follow your heart. Just do what is best for you. There's a quote by an iconic actor That said this, I want you to see this quote. There are no rules. Just follow your heart. You know who said that? This is so sobering. Robin Williams. Are no rules. Let that sink in. The sad, sobering truth about Robin Williams was he was deceived by his own heart. Sometimes we can't trust our own souls. So we need something external to govern it when it's out of line. True freedom is not the absence of limitations, restrictions, restraints. It's the environment that exists within limitations and boundaries that maintains and sustains a healthy, 
free and whole soul. Even educational re research verifies this. How many of you know who Maria Montessori is? She was an Italian educator, and listen to what she said. She had an educational process that was predicated upon the belief that children were in their optimal educational environment when they had freedom within limits. So God created an environment for the human soul with freedom, but also necessary restraint. Here's the question that I think a lot of people think about, because we know that the tree and eating of it is what got Adam and Eve kicked out of, out of the garden. So why in the world would God create an opportunity for Adam and Eve to rebel? Why would he do that? Because some of us in our, in our finite minds were like, God, you were like setting us up for failure. No, he wasn't setting us up for failure. And I want to answer that question. Why did God create an environment that included the need for restraint? Here's why. Without the tree, free will would not exist because choice would not exist. Free will would not exist and neither would love and neither would obedience. Let me, let me explain. God had created humanity to choose and make choices because they would not accurately be made in his image and likeness if they didn't have choice. Do you know that when God created humanity, he didn't have to do that? He chose it. There was nothing within his, himself that was obligated to create humanity. Do you know when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't have to do that. He chose it. So if he's creating people to bear his image and his likeness, then they cannot be fully made in his image and likeness unless they have the opportunity to not choose him. So in Eden, he creates an opportunity because he wants free will to exist because God has free will. God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. But we can't because we're not God. Why did God have to limit the age of Adam and Eve? Because he said, what they know, they can't handle. The amazing thing about God is he knew everything that was on the op op other side of eating that fruit, and yet he makes perfect decisions every single time. He was tempted, but he was without sin. How crazy is that? I hope you're getting what I'm saying. But listen, free will does not exist without a tree being present. Love doesn't exist without a tree being present. Obedience doesn't exist without the opportunity to disobey. One of the ways that we demonstrate our faithfulness to God is by what we resist. One of the ways that you demonstrate faithfulness to somebody else, love to somebody else, is by what you restrain yourself from. How would we be obedient to God if we didn't have the opportunity to be disobedient? How would we show it? See, we were created to be able to have free will because God has free will. And so we were made in his image and his likeness. We actually see this modeled in Jesus. You know Jesus restrained himself? When Jesus was on the cross and they said, come down, did he come down? When they mocked him and said, dispatch angels to relieve you, did he relieve himself? No. Why? Because Jesus modeled what we were supposed to be by Adam. He said in John 5, 19, I only do and say what I see and hear my father doing. He was restraining himself according to his connection to God. He literally practiced self-control and restraint in this world. We were created for restraint. Colossians says that he was the fullness of God in bodily form. So what that tells us is that God practices restraint. <laughs> if we didn't believe that, I have, I have, I have uh, sober news for you. None of us would be here to hear anything. <sighs> he would have just pulled the life out of everybody but he practices restraint. Do you know what grace is? The restraint of God. You know what mercy is? The restraint of God. He's practicing restraint right now. And I love what Peter said. 
Because Peter knew this. Because Peter always pushed the boundaries with Jesus. Because he was stupid, like all of us. He said this about God. He said, God is not slow as some people deem or determine someone to be slow. He is patient and long-suffering, anticipating the repentance of man. Right now, he's practicing restraint on every person you want to knock out. (laughs) On every person that is detestable to you. On every person that you can't stand. He's practicing restraint right now. So God created an environment where human beings were given the opportunity to choose to restrain themselves from eating from the tree to demonstrate their commitment, love, and obedience to God. Here's the second reason why the tree exists. Uh, Are you with me? The tree exists to show us we were not created to do whatever we wanted. Adam and Eve were going to walk by that tree every single day and be reminded, no, I can have a whole lot, but I can't have that. We were originally created not to do whatever we wanted to do. Our souls were designed to be subjected to an external governor. And listen to me this morning, the primary restrainer of your soul was and is the word of God. Was and is the word of God. It was then and it is now. Don't eat from the tree was what? It was the word of God. If we're going to have a healthy and whole soul, we have to restrain our souls by applying the commands of God's word. There is no other way. Our souls are restrained by the words of God. They were designed for that. Nick alluded to it. Man shall not live on, every, on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So why is restraint healthy for the soul? It's healthy for the soul because God's, God's knows his restraints remind us that we are not God. When God says no, sometimes he says it, just so you know, you're not God. When I say no to Gideon, sometimes I say it to let him know I'm the parent, he's the child. You don't need to understand the full scope and scale of why I said no. God created restraint just so that those who are made in his image and likeness would understand every time they walked by it, they're not God. Psalm 100 verse 3 says this, David said this, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. One of the ways that we are reminded that we are not God is by restraining ourselves with the moral and ethical boundaries mentioned in Scripture. We don't have to know why. We're not God. God is the one that's God. See, if you want to find out why this is so important, read Romans 1, 18 through 31. Because Paul details and writes out the consequences of people that that want to be God and want to determine what is a no and what is a yes. And the Bible says that, listen to the scripture, it says that they exchange the truth of God for lies and they make the passions of their souls their own God. And it says that God gave them over. Okay, you you want your soul to be God? Here you go. And what's the fruit of it? Every time that you step outside of the limitations of the word of God, I don't care what you believe, You are stepping into an environment where that freedom is producing bondage. It just is. And I don't need to know. God is God. I'm not. Second thing that restraint does is it creates security for the soul. Security. Safety. Security. How many of you know locks are on doors for a reason? One of the questions we always ask every night before we go to bed is, did we shut the garage door? Why? Because security is good for the soul. 
that door restrains anyone outside from just coming in. And the, there's a peace for that. It produces stability, safety, freedom from fear, anxiety, assurance, peace. Listen to a life, listen to how Solomon, the wisest person in the world, outlines a life that has no restraint. Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Do you know that the main source of security for cities was fortification? When you have no restraints, you're like that. Any whim, impulse, passion, and craving can come flooding in and you get dragged away and captured by it. you got to have restraint. The commands of God's word will create a security for your soul. This is another one, one of my favorites. Living under the restraints of God's word prevents shame, guilt, and condemnation in the soul. There's nothing like the gift of a clear conscience that flows from you adhering to God's word. Every one of us knows what a guilty conscience feels like because you can hide behind a smile and still hear you're tormented. When you adhere to God's word, it prevents shame, guilt, and condemnation. What brought shame, guilt, and con condemnation? What Adam and Eve did. They didn't even know what shame, guilt, and condemnation was until they chose to not be restrained by God's word. That's what revealed it. Their lack of restraint opened the door to shame. And they covered themselves because they felt shame. See, the fruit of our lack of restraint will always be shame and guilt. There's a gift that when you are obedient to God's word, one of the gifts is a clear conscience. That you can walk around without shame and guilt. Because here's the thing. I think we're all smart to know why the shame, guilt, and condemnation exists. Those, whether or not you actually believe in God, those are natural indicators that something is off. And I believe that, that it's actually the grace and mercy and goodness of God to create humanity where they have natural indicator, indicators where they've crossed boundaries, even if they don't necessarily know if those boundaries are sin or not. They're, they're organically in you. You know when you feel guilty. God, when we follow the restraints of God's word, it creates an environment that prevents shame, guilt, and condemnation from coming in. Number four, scriptural restraints provide clear direction for the soul. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It illuminates what's right and what's wrong. It helps you to steer clear of things that could be destructive. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, God, Jesus paints this picture about salvation in the gospel. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad. That is to say, it has limitless freedoms. It's broad. That leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. See, a life without boundaries is like driving without guardrails. It's destructive. If I could have the worship team come forward. This is where I want to focus in on something that I believe is so important for the health of our souls. Because when we talk about restraint, when we talk about self-control, I think we can all agree with this. What do we do when we don't have enough power to control ourselves? What do we do when we don't have any self-control? This, this is not a message, listen, this is not a message about you having to muster up willpower to control yourself. Because guess what? Many of us don't have the power to control ourselves sometimes. 
there comes point, just to add a little brevity, can anybody say amen at Thanksgiving? You don't have the power to restrain yourself. How many of you lie to yourselves going into the meal? I'm just going to have a plate. And, I'm, and then you see, you see it all and you're like, ha! Just not have restraint. It's once a year. And then another one comes in a month. And then New Year's. And then a birthday. And then it's every weekend. Super Bowl Sunday. What do you do when you don't have the power to restrain yourself? I had an amazing conversation uh, with my son Gideon. This is absolutely incredible. My wife and I were having problems with Gideon. And um, Gideon is at an age where he likes to be the second parent to his younger siblings. So that means he will use force if necessary. He will yell and shout and try to punish them. And sometimes he'll push them or hit them. And it's, my God, it's exasperating as a parent. Because I'll look at him and, to quote the office, you'll be like, why are you the way that you are? And then you realize, we're all the same. Because at some point, people have said the same thing about every person in the room. Why can't you just stop? And so we're in his room. Allison and I, we had sent him to his, to his room. I took a couple moments because I needed a fresh breather. Because if not, I was going to go ham. And I was going to... I was going to lay it on him because I was angry and I was frustrated. But we go in the room and we sit down because this is what exasperates it. You know this as a parent. It wasn't the first time. It was about the 50th time that you've had the same conversation over and over and over and over again. And the conversation is not changing them. And so he's on the bed, and I sit down on the bed. Allison's on the floor because I'm a gentleman. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and we're there, and I said, I, I can't, can't remember the full scope of the conversation, but it was like, Gideon, how many times have we told you not to put your hands on your brother and sister? That is not your job. You are not their parents. We are the parents. Instead of putting your hands on your, your brother and sister, what are you supposed to do? And this was amazing. He finally got to the point where he was like, I can't control myself. Let me tell you something. It was a divine moment because the first time in his 10-year-old existence, I said, that is why you need Jesus. See, for 10 years of his life, he hasn't fully understood the brokenness of what he was born into. We are broken. We are flawed. And we only have so much willpower. And matter of fact, where judgment ends is when we realize that maybe you may not struggle with what someone else doesn't have the willpower to overcome, but you've got your own issues that someone else could equally judge you with and say, why can't you stop? Can we all acknowledge that we all come to the end of our own ability to control ourselves? There's not enough power. Because we were not designed by God to govern our own soul. And here's Gideon at 10 years old. I can't stop myself. I know you've said it, but I can't stop myself. And I said, that's why your mom and dad believe in Jesus. Because outside of Jesus, we would only have limited control. Outside of Jesus... Listen, we all have strength 
in subjective amounts. And when you get to the end of your own willpower, what do you do to restrain yourself? You're hopeless. You identify with what Paul said when he said, I hate what I do, yet I still do it. That was a man admitting, I only have so much power over my own soul to stop me from doing the things that I know are not good for my soul. What do you do when you can't restrain yourself? See, 1 Peter 2.11 says that we battle fleshly desires which wage war against our own souls. What do we do when we're not strong enough, when we're not powerful enough to resist our own selfishness and sinful desires? Listen to me. We have to understand that our souls were not designed to restrain themselves. Our souls need a restrainer. When we come to the end of our own strength, we need something beyond ourselves to govern our soul. Our souls were designed to be under the authority and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Who is the governor of the soul? It's the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus say to Nicodemus, you are born naturally, but you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. Because if you are left to your own whims and urges and desires of the soul, you will not make it through this life. We are born with a contaminated soul. We have to have an external influence to come into that landscape that has authority and dominion to be able to take control when we no longer have any control over our lives. Jerry Bridget says this, he said this, he said, true self-control is not control by oneself through one's own willpower, but rather control of oneself through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, listen to me. I don't care what people think about the Holy Spirit. You cannot live without it. You can't go through this world without having the Holy Spirit have authority and government over your soul because when you don't have it, you're left to your own willpower and you will fail miserably. We can't go without the Holy Spirit. A well-known Christian rapper named Andy Minio said one of the deepest things I've ever heard in my life. He said, here is the paradox of Christian living. We must give up control of self to gain self-control. You give up your life to lose, or you lose your life to get your life. You give up control to get control. It's the upside-down kingdom. It's so amazing for you and I's soul to be restrained. It has to be surrendered to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. What, how do you give the Holy Spirit the ability to govern you when you don't have control? It's surrender. It's getting on your knees and knowing that you don't have the strength and willpower. I have to have something beyond my own ability. When you humble yourself, that is the welcoming of the Holy Spirit to provide you with the control that you don't have on your own strength. It's an invitation. We have to be filled. You know what's crazy? The, I was just reading in worship, the first Adam... In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, the first Adam was a life-giving soul. The second Adam was Jesus, and he was a life-giving spirit. Without, and it blew my mind because I realized that Jesus coming to the world was not a reaction to Adam and Eve's sin. Jesus coming into the world was the full scope and scale of what God had planned before anything happened. Because his father gave the first Adam a soul, but the second Adam had to give a spirit. We are not born again unless Jesus came and brings a spirit. Do you remember when Jesus was sitting with his disciples? He 
and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't say receive a soul. They already had one. What they needed was the external force that came upon him in the baptism in the water to say, now you can fully be like me. Because the spirit that was deposited in me in that baptism, I now breathe on you. And in breathing, you inhale it. And it begins to have authority and governance over your soul when you have no control over yourself. Isn't it crazy that Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control? Self-control. I remember, I said, Gideon, I said, I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to help you have control. And he's saying it. And there's like, he, he's getting emotionally choked up. Because one of the things you have to understand is that confession is identifying where you need God to intervene. It's not embarrassment. It's not humiliation. It's saying, God, I have come to the end of my own ability to control myself Here's it. This is where I need your divine intervention. And he's praying and he's like repentant because he recognizes for the first time in his 10-year-old existence, this is really what it's like to be human, to come to the end of yourself and realize I cannot control myself. I have to have an external force that brings restraint And that external force is that we must be born again of the Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can invade the landscape of the soul and have government and authority when we don't have any more control over ourselves. But where does it start? It starts with surrender. It starts saying, I don't have it. I don't have enough control over my selfishness. That right there is a personal confession. I can't control my selfishness. I need the Holy Spirit to breathe upon the landscape of my soul because if I am holding on to my own ability to be selfless, I have a limitation. So God, I need you to come to the landscape of my soul and I need your Holy Spirit to govern and lead me because if I'm left to my own will, I will become selfish and no longer be thinking about other people. I need you. Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit will not fill a place that you are not willing to die. It just doesn't happen. If anyone were to come after me, he must pick up himself, his cross and follow me. Every time that you're restrained by the Holy Spirit, I got good news for you. It's painful. It hurts. You won't like it. But here's the other hope. You'll get over it. You will. You'll get over it because all you need is a little bit of time because listen to me, when the Holy Spirit restrains you, after a while, it feels really good because it's what your soul needed. But it starts with surrender. You stand with me. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you an honest question. If you're in the room and you're like, my soul needs restraint. I can't control it. I need the governance of the Holy Spirit. I need him to fill me. It's going to come on the other side of surrender. And so I'm going to ask you to come forward right now. If you need the Holy Spirit 
to exercise restraint and self-control and discipline in the areas that you don't, oh, nobody? Oh, so we're just lying to ourselves then. I'm the only one? Maybe I shouldn't be preaching. Maybe you should. But listen, it starts with surrender. Surrender is beautiful because it is the acknowledgement that you need him. God. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go into a song. And as we sing it, I want you, I want the lyrics of the song to be a prayer from your soul. God, I need you. Songs called I Surrender. It's about letting go. Listen, the way you get self-control is you give control over. You give control over to the Holy Spirit and say, God, and can I tell you, this what you're about to do right now is not a one-time thing. Start your day out of control by getting on your knees and saying, Jesus, I am fully aware that I will come to the end of myself today. So I would much rather start the beginning of my day giving you control when I come to the end. So Father, in this room, you see every person, God. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you this morning to take your place as a governor over our souls, God. And Father, we ask that you would move in. God, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would meet every soul in the room where they are, God. God, we honor you this morning. Come on, let's worship Jesus today. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.